0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. I'm going to shift gears a little bit and focus more on um, the parable itself. But just a recap real quick because the context is important. Um, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with your strength, with your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And, uh, and Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. right Do this and you will live. Uh, at the end of the story, Jesus really repeats and reemphasizes when he says this. Which of the three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And one of the main points of the parable or uh, points that Jesus is making to this lawyer is that if you have saving faith, you will show Kindness and mercy to people in need, right? Uh, Faith must take action towards the poor and the needy. Uh, There's no escaping it. Uh, uh, Jesus is not here, of course, saying that we do good works in order to get saved. But he is saying that if you are saved, you are saved to do good works. You are saved to reach out to poor and needy people uh, in the world around you as they cross your path. And we're to do that regardless of other priorities or the risk to us personally. Uh, In the story, the uh, priest and the Levite pass by, and Jesus makes it clear that's not acceptable. The lawyer was asking how he could get around meeting people's needs. And Jesus says, no, we're required, uh, if our faith is true, to... Put that faith into action by responding to needs that come before us, regardless, uh, regardless of our calling. Right? We cannot say, "Well, I'm a pastor, teacher, evangelist." Uh, you know, call me when they want to start a Bible study. But starving to death is just not my problem because it's not my calling. Right? We can't do that. That's what the, the priest and the Levi did. Not not acceptable. Uh, regardless of my schedule. Okay, we cannot say, well, it's just really not convenient for me right now to help needy people. I'm busy with other things. Uh, regardless of our own financial status, uh, regardless of how poor we may be, we are called to help other people in need. Uh, and regardless of how great the needs are before me, uh, it can seem overwhelming. The needs, in fact, can seem infinite and endless. But Jesus makes it clear that we, uh, if we call ourselves Christians, we need to respond to the needs around us by action, by showing mercy. Well, uh, you know, if, if, if you live uh, anywhere where there are people, you realize that this really is like mission impossible, right? Anybody feel that way? You just look around you at the needs in the world, the needs here in Chiang Mai, the needs across Asia, around the world, um, the needs right next to us, and it can be quite overwhelming. And um, a few years ago, I, I got stuck in Calcutta, India, really one of the last places on the earth you ever want to get stuck and stranded. Uh, but I was there and ended up down at the train station trying to get a train during a major holiday when there were no train tickets available. And the train district in Calcutta is the poor of the poor city. I mean, it's a some of you have been there. Not a nice place, right? And I, I'm in this taxi on this street jam-packed with thousands and thousands of people. And uh, our taxi's cra- creeping along through this traffic. And I see up Ten yards in front of us, this girl, about ten years old, who is wearing this dress that is so caked with dirt and filth, it it literally, I think, would stand up on its own. I mean, that's not an exaggeration. It was stiff with dirt, filthy, probably had never been washed. Her hair was matted. Her faith was filthy. uh, And you could tell she had been living on this, uh, this super busy street and all this filth and squalor. And in the midst of all these thousands of people, just right in front of me, this girl squats down to pee in the street, right? Because she has no other place to go. Now, granted, in India, the whole world's a toilet. I mean, it's fair game, you know, uh, for them. But uh, I was just struck with this poor kid, right? Uh, Beautiful, I mean, uh, you strip off all the dirt, beautiful child, right? Uh, And... Being a person of faith whose life has been transformed, I was moved with compassion for that child, right? Uh, we passed on a little ways, and, uh, and you know how it is there. If, if uh, the kids see a white face in a taxi, it's just seconds before they are swarming your taxi, asking for money, right? Banging on the windows. It goes the windows down because it's 900 degrees there, and I'm sweltering hot. But, of course, the kids come, and you really have no choice but to roll up the window, or they'll, like, you know, rip you to shreds. Uh, these beautiful little children, and uh, <clears throat> and I wanted desperately to to give them money, right? And my friend uh, Indian pastor said, you "Don't don't give them money." He said, "It really won't help them. They're all you know controlled by these mafia gangs. They don't get the money. They just are used by these gang lords who use them to get money. Don't don't give them money because you're not helping them, right?" And if you've lived here in Asia very long, and if you tried to help people, you realize that there's truth in that, right? And that while we have a heart to to help and to do things, it's complicated, and the needs are overwhelming, and it could really get us to the point where we feel somewhat like, how do we do this, right? How do we come alongside and help people in a way that's truly helpful, and that really uh, does what Jesus describes here in the parable of the Good Samaritan? Well, I want to begin to answer that question this morning, and I'm really quite frustrated because I have about 10 weeks of sermon material here, (laughs) and I've cut and chopped and whacked, and uh, I run the risk of saying so little that at the end you'll go, yeah, but what about, right? Okay, again, there's a lot of what abouts. We've got to start somewhere. We'll look at it some this week. We'll look at it next week. Uh, It's complicated, and I don't claim in the next 30 minutes to answer all the questions, right? But let's begin by just defining this morning what what we mean when we talk about giving help. Uh, Jesus commands the Lord. He says, you go and do mercy, right? That's what you need to do. So what really does that mean? And it's important if we're going to start doing this and doing it well, that we're clear about what it means to do mercy. And I think there's a lot of confusion and misunderstanding um, that we do things that are not in the end helpful because... It's not really what Jesus is describing here. So let's look at the actual parable a bit and some other scripture and answer this question or begin to answer the question, what does it mean to show mercy? What really ought we to be doing to come alongside people in need? (coughs) Well, the parable (coughs) uh, goes like this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Uh, Jesus says this is a a picture of what doing mercy is. This is an example, and from it we can learn some lessons. Um, what, what, What really in this picture does this guy do? that would, would define what mercy is. Well, I think uh, mercy is simply this. From the example of the Good Samaritan, mercy is taking action that is helpful in restoring the person to health and well-being. Now, I'll read it again, because the definition is important. Mercy is taking action that is helpful in restoring the person to health and well-being. Right, this guy comes along, And he patches him up. He tends to his wounds. He takes him to a nice hotel where he has a safe place where he can recover with the goal of getting this guy back on his feet, right? Now, let's let's talk about what it it doesn't mean first. Um, It does not mean rescuing people, right? Now, you would say, well, didn't he rescue him? Well, in a sense, he did rescue him. But his mission was not rescuing people, right? And I know there's a lot of people in the world, Christians, good people, good hearts, whose goal and mission in life is to rescue people. Right? What motivated the Good Samaritan? Did he come along this guy and say, ha, a victim. <laughs> Yay! Here's somebody I can rescue. And by doing this, I'm going to feel really good about myself. Right? Okay, That's a rescuer. That's not what he says. He says he has compassion on him. The total focus of the Good Samaritan was on the needs and hurt of the person, not on meeting his own needs, right? And yet, as Christians, uh, oftentimes, if we have areas in our life that are unhealed, our own wounds, our own uh, hurts as uh, people who have been victimized by sin, and those aren't completely worked out, we can seek to help people in order to make ourselves feel important and significant, okay? and we see this all the time, uh, and, and if we're honest, we, we do this sometimes, right? Our interest in helping is really very selfish. Uh, and the problem with that is when we, uh, when we have the, the goal of rescuing people because it fulfills needs in us, we will rarely do what's truly helpful for the person, right? We're going to do what makes us feel good, regardless of the ultimate consequences for the person. Right? because it's about me and meeting my own needs. Uh, I see this often by unhealthy churches, not just individuals, but churches in the West who have a rescuing mentality. Right? And uh, I was at a children's home I will not mention because it's somewhere nearby uh, this vicinity. And uh, was visiting there and just kind of getting ideas about how children's homes run and they wanted some uh, counseling and consulting and Nice facility, a lot of kids. And I started asking them, you know, where did you get your kids from? And they said, well, most of our kids have come from the local government uh, orphanage. uh, And we've had most of them since they were like a few months old. right? And I said, well, so these children um, are adoptable. Because not not all children in Thailand are, but quite a few are. And they said, yeah, yeah, they would all be adoptable. They're all true orphans, right? And so they could be adopted to foreign countries. And I'm looking around, and these kids are 10, 12, 14, 15 years old. I'm going, well, then why haven't they been adopted? And the guy, American, big eyes, shocked response, looks at me and goes, well, we can't do that because we run an orphanage. We need orphans, right? Right. Wow, right? In other words, we're doing this for us, right? Right. We're doing what makes us feel good as Western Christians who need to rescue people. We can't rescue people who are already in homes, right? right? True story, true story. Uh, and that's the problem with a rescuing mentality. We pursue what's good for us, not giving help to people we're trying to save. Right? So we have to be really careful about that because that's not what's happening here, right? Uh, this guy does not... Um, you know, start up a Facebook page to raise money for, uh, for this guy's long-term needs. I mean, he, he just gets him on his feet, right? It's about restoring the guy's health, not the Good Samaritan getting his own need met. Secondly, um, our goal is not fixing all their problems, okay? Help is not solving other people's problems, Again, for some of this, I, I struggle with this one because I love fixing things, right? Things are broke. I love taking it apart, fixing it. If they're not broke, you know, I still like fixing it, right? Um, there's something in us that it, it derives satisfaction from fixing broken things. And when people come to us or we, we come across people who are, who are struggling, uh, who are in need, there's a great temptation and a great misunderstanding that says, helping them is solving all their problems and again notice what the good Samaritan does Now, this injured man he, he, he suffered a great deal of loss okay, not only was he dying but he was stripped, robbed, he had no clothes he had lost all of his, you know, his possessions that were on him we don't know how much that was uh, he certainly loses time at work uh, what does the good Samaritan actually help with right? does he solve all the guy's problems no All he does is help him get back on his feet, right? He doesn't go down to the labor office and file for unemployment. He doesn't, you know, try a fundraising drive to raise money to replace all that got stolen. Uh, He simply helps him get back on his feet, You know, I learned this this, this problem-solving, fixing things. I've I've learned this the hard way, uh, being married. Because I thought it was my role as a husband, being faithful to my wife, to fix all of her problems, and she would come to me and in frustration and uh, would share things that did not go well, which I assumed she was saying, please tell me what I'm doing wrong and fix my problems. So I did, you know. She had relationship problems. I would say, well, you're saying stupid things, you know, and, that, and that's what happens. You say stupid things and people get mad at you, so just don't say stupid things. Or you can imagine how that how that went, Right. <laughs> And I thought I was doing her this huge favor, right? Um, But that's not what she was looking for, right? She was looking for somebody who would understand her frustration, okay? Oftentimes people know the solutions to their own problems. Uh, Sometimes they don't. uh, But it's never helpful for us to just fix people, right? Because when we do that, they don't learn how to solve their own problems, and they become dependent on us right? And that's not helpful. That's not helpful, right? I told all my kids uh, from the time they were about a month old, you can live free in my house till you're 18, right? And then after that, you have to be living on your own, right? That uh, didn't always quite work out, but um, <laughs> but in principle, it was there, right? Because we, we want our kids to be not eternally dependent on us, because that's not healthy, right? It's not, it's not that we don't love our kids or we don't Uh, Want to help them. We just recognize that that's not what it means to be a healthy, functioning adult. So we don't help people learn how to solve their own problems when we fix everything for them. Uh, Third thing, that it is not helping is not. Helping is not wealth. Helping is not comfort and prosperity. Another problem, especially for people coming from wealthy Western cultures and countries is we get we have the mistaken idea that we haven't really helped someone, we haven't really done anything for them until we've raised their lifestyle to the same level as ours, right? because we think um, we think that you know we are more blessed than they are because we are wealthy. Right? Uh, there's so many ways in which that is absolutely not true. Right? So many ways, but we we feel that way, right? Now, we are blessed in incredible ways, right? But the reality is our wealth may be a curse more than it's a blessing, right? Because uh, I don't know that our wealth always promotes our godliness. Uh, mostly what I see is our wealth promotes selfishness, right? And when we thrust that on people we're trying to help, and we have this expectation, I haven't really helped you till I've raised your lifestyle, right? All we're often doing is help them become selfish and greedy and materialistic, right? And I'm thinking, by Jesus' definition, that's not helping. That's not helping. Uh, we have, uh, through the F- Family Connection Foundation, the outreach arm of, of CCF, we have some children's homes, uh, Bonson Rock Children's Homes. And uh, every year at Christmas time, I get requests from donors and sponsors and supporters who want to buy the kids Christmas presents. Okay, you know, there's great heart behind that, you know, and I, I, I appreciate their generosity and kindness. But, but, but why do they want to buy them Christmas presents? Well, it usually goes something like this. Because we want them to have a real Christmas. Okay, apparently Jesus is not enough, right? It ain't a real Christmas unless it's Jesus and materialism, right? Because that's real Christmas, right? True story, right? Uh, we don't allow that. We tell people sorry. We do not allow giving uh, individual gifts to the kids because it will make them greedy and materialistic. And that's not helping them, right? It's not helping them. Uh, and most people are okay with that, and we find other ways to give in ways that help the whole group. Um, but it uh, just illustrates our, our faulty mindset about what help is. Right? So, so what is help? Well, help is, is helping people stand. Right? Helping people stand on their own. It is taking action that is helpful in restoring the person to health and well-being so that they can stand on their own. So they can be self-sufficient. Right? So that they can solve their own problems. So that they can, in turn help others so that they can love people and love God and build God's kingdom, right? That's what help is. Um, And we do that by coming alongside them, right? Coming alongside them, not over them, but coming alongside them uh, to help provide resources and opportunities and direction so that they can come to a point where they take care of themselves. That's what the Good Samaritan did. And that's really the limit of what he did. He got this guy restored to health where he could continue on his journey on his own. Right? And working out how he gets back what was stolen and the days so he lost. It's not the Good Samaritan's problem in a sense. Right? His function and role is to get the guy standing on his own two feet uh, to restore him to health. Right? Um, and, of course, health can mean many things, and we all have needs. And when we look at the needs around us, Some of it is economic, but some of it's emotional, some of it's social, some of it's in many different areas. And we're to help each other, right? Not just the poor economically, uh, but we're to help people come to a place of health in their life where they can stand on their own. Uh, What what can this look like? Well, just one example. Uh, We are... Uh, through through the foundation, again, we're doing church planting and outreach in uh, Isan, in a province called Galison. Very poor, very poor area, mostly rice farmers. Um, very unreached with the gospel, right? Very unreached. And we have a couple there named Huai and Nakhon who have come to Christ about three or four years ago. And they were the first people to come to Christ in, in their village in a very wide region where the gospel has never been proclaimed, Right? And it's quite remote, far out in the country, a long ways from town. And so we started a home church there, and they become the home church leaders, not because they're, like, all that trained, but just because they're the only believers, right? They're the ones who know Jesus, so they get to lead. Um, They are super poor. They make their living uh, fishing. And every morning at 3 o'clock in the morning, seven days a week, Nakhorn goes out on this reservoir that's nearby their house on a boat and he goes fishing. And his hope is to catch about 50 kilos of fish every day. And there are fish about this size. He brings them back, and he and his wife and daughter process the fish by splitting them in half and scaling them and laying them out, and they lay them, dry them in the sun during the day. And then the next night at 2 o'clock in the morning, people start coming to buy them wholesale to take to the markets to sell. Okay, Tough life. And if they, if they catch 50 kilos of fish, their net profit for the day will be 300 baht a day, right? That's what they live on, right? Uh, now, for us, everything in me, everything in me wants to just give them money, right? Wants to support them. There are church planners, they're doing ministry, they're only the only light, and, and they're doing a great job, actually, a church is growing there, people are coming to Christ. And I want to just start supporting them, you know, 5,000 baht a month or something, it would double their income, right? We're not going to do that, right? Because ultimately that would we feel would not be helpful. But what we are going to do is this. Uh, His boat motor that he uses to go fishing is 20 years old and um, quite worn out. And uh, it's a very large lake. So imagine you, if you're out on this lake in a boat with this boat motor that's 20 years old, how far out in the lake would you go? Uh, not that far, right? Because when the boat motor breaks, you'd like to get home within the week, right? And so he's limited in the areas he can go fishing because his boat motor is very unreliable. For 500 bucks, we can buy him a brand-new boat motor, right? And by doing that, it greatly increases his ability to, uh, to take care of himself, right? And we're going to do it uh, through a loan. We're not just giving him the money. Uh, because we want to help him know how to solve his own problems, not rescue him, right? And not change his lifestyle, right? So that's a picture. Those are a picture, and there's many other ways, but that's one good illustration. Okay, last thing about how we help. That, that's what helping is. What's the ultimate goal of our help? Really important to to clarify this. And this, I confess, is going a bit out of uh, this parable. But in Scripture, it's clear, As we help people, what are we ultimately trying to get them to? What's the point where we're trying to get them to? Um, Well, uh, as you think through this, you may be thinking already, well, all that doesn't sound very spiritual. Uh, And it's true. Uh, Helping people with their physical and material needs uh, in itself is not very spiritual. But uh, in the parable, Jesus... Does not distinguish that. In fact, it's a Samaritan that gives the help, right? And the Jews would have, in their thinking, gone, well, the Samaritan would be no help spiritually, right? Okay, I'm getting helped by a lost guy, right? So uh, Jesus doesn't confuse the issue by uh, making help dependent on uh, spiritual growth or spiritual receptivity. Uh, however, our goal should be spiritual, right? We don't want to just help people uh, have healthier lives. True health means you know Jesus. True health means you have been changed from the inside out. And ultimately, the true solutions of a person's life and the healing that's required for them to stand on their own requires a great work of the gospel and of grace. So um, helping people stand really means... uh, what it really means is helping people to stand on their own in Christ. Because right? there's no such thing as just standing on your own. Right? That, that's not the value that we believe or teach. But we want them to stand on, a, on their own by learning to depend on Christ, who is the great provider and sustainer of their life. Ultimately, our goal is to point them to Jesus as the rescuer, as the helper, as the sustainer as really the one that is the solution to their problems. Uh, And thus to bring them to a place where their lives bring glory to God. Uh, It is when their life is in a place where it's reflecting God's glory because Jesus is Lord, He's healing, He's working in their life, and He's providing that they come to praise God and worship and honor Him. And that's our ultimate goal. So real quickly, that's that's a brief picture of what I think Jesus means by help. And hopefully that helps you formulate in your own mind what help would look like for you as you encounter people in need. Um, One more quick thing I wanted to go over is is where does it end? Okay, so that's kind of how we help people. But how far does this go? Right. Uh, It's always good to know where the exit ramps are. (laughs) Right. You're going down the highway. Uh, you can't just go on the highway forever. Sometimes you have to get off. So where do you get off this helping journey with people? Well, I think there's three exit ramps that it's important for us to be aware of and be shooting toward. Right? If we're a rescuer, we want to keep people in a dependent relationship where they need us forever because as long as they need us, we feel good. Okay? Help means getting to the point where they don't need us anymore, where they can stand on their own and we can cheer them on their way. So we need to be looking toward those exit ramps. First exit ramp uh, would be this. Uh, We stop helping when they no longer want or need real help. We stop helping when they no longer want or need real help. What does that mean? Well, the, the reality is that most people in need would love to be rescued forever. Right? They would love us to come along and just give them money forever. And so I've never had people refuse that, ever, or want it to stop, right? Which is the problem with bad help. Uh, However, if we understand that real help is restoring them to health, then it means help is not always what people want, right? Help is not always. In fact, often, help is really the last thing people want. Because real help is moving them from the place where they are dependent and helpless to stand on their own. And for a lot of people, those are steps they're just not willing to take, right? And there comes a point where the help you offer is going to be rejected, right? The help that would really move them to growth and to health is not going to be what they want. And at that point, there's not a lot more you can do for them, right? There's not a lot more you, you can do for them. In fact, continuing to support them or give them money, only enables their sickness, it does not really help them. Uh, some of you who were who are here last year remember that about every month or so this kind of very dirty, somewhat crazy Thai lady would show up hitting people up in the church for money. Uh, Tom and her got to be really close friends, <laughs> and he's really thankful for that. Um, and, so, and many of you got to know her as well. And, and as word got out, she would go to the malls and hit up foreigners, and she she knew Christians, man. She just knew well, these compassionate people give away money, right? And so she came, and first couple of times we gave her, you know, a little bit of money to help her. Uh, but that's not sustainable, and that's not really helping her. So the next level, we started asking her questions and finding out what was going on in her life. And uh, she started coming with bigger needs and hospital bills and all that sort of thing. And so uh, we, I directed her to some very good government programs that would, would meet those needs. Right? And I offered to call after to take her over to these government offices to help her do this. She absolutely refused. right? She says, no, 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 I'm not going there. right? I don't want government help. Why? Well, because she didn't really want help. She wanted money for drugs or alcohol or some habit in her life, not help. And so I told her, hey, look, this is how we can help you. We would love to get you taken care of. These government agencies can help you do that. You let me know when you're ready, and we'll take you. I haven't heard from her since, right? Uh, Because that's not what she was after. That doesn't mean we stop loving or caring for her or praying for her or showing compassion in ways we can. No, we do that, right? But we stop enabling her sick, unhealthy lifestyle, right? And she's got to learn to stand on her own. She's got to learn... To start making different choices, so our, our help to her ended right at that at that point. Um, so know that know that exit ramp right. Don't keep giving people help that's not directing them to health. Right? You're not helping them. Second exit ramp, exit ramp. Uh, we stop helping when we have helped them stand on their own two feet. Pretty simple, right? When they get to a point where they are self-sufficient. Uh, that's the goal, and so economically, we pull back help. Uh, several years ago, Stefan, one of our uh, one of our projects, uh, came across a homeless guy at the Tape Gate. A guy living on the street, no job, no home, no money, no food, uh, and just desperate. Uh, so Stefan drags this guy back to his house, uh, to the center, gives him a place to stay, gets him a job. Uh, Eventually shares the gospel with him. He gets saved. They set him up with a little business with a coffee stand. Uh, His real need was really not economic. As it turns out, the guy had several hundred thousand baht in the bank, right? But he would not spend it because he felt he was worthless and had no hope and had no value, right? So he would not withdraw one baht out of the bank. He was living, starving on the street, homeless. Because he felt his life was so worthless. Right? And the help he needed really was realizing his life has great value in Christ. And Stefan was help, able to counsel him and help him grow and understand who he is in Christ. And now he's got his own place. He pays rent. He, I don't know if he's spent the money in his bank account yet. But, but he's got a good job. And he's taking care of himself. And he values his life. right? It's transformation. It's helping him really stand on his own two feet. Third exit ramp. Uh, of course, uh, taking care of people's material needs is one thing, but we, we want them to come to a place where they, they're they standing in Christ, right? So uh, the third exit ramp is when they know joy and live for God's glory, right? And they come to a place in their life where they understand that Christ is the is the resource for their life. And they've come to live for God's glory above everything. And they know what it means to enjoy him. Westminster Confession, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of helping people? Well, to to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Um, And and this is a theological truth. It's a spiritual truth, but also speaks volumes about what it means for us to help people. Right? Ultimately, people, all people, us included, need to come to a place in our life where we know that all that matters in our life is not our comfort, not our security, not our peace, not, uh, not even our provision, or not even our life. What matters is God's glory. Okay? What matters is his glory and that he would be glorified in my life. And the reality is a lot of the theology that goes along with that says that God often is glorified most in us through our suffering, not in our prosperity. Right? Um, what does it mean to enjoy him forever? Well, a lot of us, what that means is to enjoy life and all of its comforts and luxuries, knowing we're in God. That's not actually what the statement says. Right? It says enjoy him find joy in Him alone. Right? It means that really I come to a place in my life where I know that the only thing that matters, the only place where joy resides, the only thing that, that is of any value or worth in my life is Christ alone. Right? I don't need anything, absolutely anything else in my life to truly be happy or joyful. Honestly, a lot of people are in need and poverty because God has sent them there so that they will learn to trust and find joy in Christ alone. Honestly, a lot of us would do well to go there, right? To strip out of our life all the junk and things that compete with our affection over Christ. And we come along in people's lives and we want to lift them out of that place of desperate need where they would call on God, we want to rescue them and relieve them of that, of that suffering and that difficulty because we think we're doing them a favor, are very much undermining the very work of God in their life. Right? But they would come to that place where they know that their life is only about God's glory and their joy is in Him alone. Right? We sang this morning a great song, Christ is all I need. Do we really believe that? Right? Do we really believe that? And what does it mean to help people come to that place where they say, Christ is all I need? Uh, That's the help that ultimately they need. A lot of what we talk about and a lot of the application of this is for needs that are close at hand, needs that we have something to do with. But the reality is, we live in a day and age with Facebook and media and news, and you know we we are confronted with needs around the world. And um, you know the reality is that a lot of places in the world where people are suffering and there's horrific need, uh, we cannot necessarily do anything to help those people stand. Right? And it can feel a little bit hopeless. And the danger in that is that we become indifferent. Or just turn off compassion because it's beyond us, right? But uh, but that's why God calls us to pray, right? Uh, we should never become callous or indifferent to the suffering we hear about around the world, right? Uh, and while we may not be able to actively do something to help them stand, we can pray. And we can pray about... Uh, how we can be involved, whether that means giving or supporting, but but being careful knowing that a lot of times money is not the answer, right? Throwing money at suffering may not really be helpful, right? We can pray about how God would have us be involved. Maybe he would have us go. Uh, but we do that because we've we prayed. We've sought God, right? Um, and as we pray, uh, we need to pray that in ways that would be helpful, right? Pray that God would help those people stand in the face of persecution and hardship. That God would be glorified in their life, even if through suffering. That people would ultimately come to a place of finding joy in him in their circumstance, right?